The fixed mindset views a failure as an identifier of who they are. A growth mindset views a failure as an identifier of what they know. Welcome to ROSC, episode something, I already lost count, I don't remember what episode this is. We're not even in the double digits yet and I've already forgotten. But anyway, today we're going to talk about the idea of in order to write well, you have to write poorly. Now, why am I talking about writing? Because that's where the idea came from, at least introduced to me in the first place. Seth Godin talks about when someone comes up to him and says, I want to be a writer, but I'm no good at it. And he asks them, well, show me all your bad writing. And they have nothing to show. We've all heard the story of Michael Jordan shooting tens of thousands of free throws and not being good at it when he started before he became Michael Jordan as we know him today. The interesting thing is why we always hear about these things like Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky, who wasn't very good at hockey when he started. Um, why we hear about these examples as individuals, as anomalies, never as a group. And I think this is an effort to lend towards changing that. I'm not going to say this is going to be the thing that changes it because that's way too arrogant. But this is one of the deposits in the bank to hopefully create a change in that. Now let's set the stage a little bit. You are a brand new practitioner, brand new nurse, brand new NP, brand new PA, brand new EMT, brand new doctor. And maybe you haven't even graduated from school yet, but you're on your clinical shadowing or your rotations, or you've graduated and now you're a resident or you're practicing, whatever it might be. And someone asks you a question, how does this get managed? What are the symptoms of this? What is the diagnosis? Blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you might hope that you don't get picked, but if you are being picked, you better get the right answer because you're in front of everybody and you're going to look stupid, let alone the fact that your preceptor might very well make it known to the people how you should have known that thing. Or a more real example, a student that I was once working with who she was fantastic. She was a fourth year medical student and functioned at the level of at least an intern, which is amazing. And one of the things I noticed over and over again, whenever she would present a patient to me and present her plan, and I would ask why this, why do you, why do you want to do that? What makes you want to do this? There were some times I was asking to get an understanding of why she was picking that so that I could make a correction. And there were other times where she picked the right thing and I wanted her to verbalize her thought process so I could give more credit to her not only having the right answer, but having the right approach to the right answer. What would consistently happen throughout the day was every time I'd ask, what makes you pick that? She would immediately walk it back and start to hedge the answer. And the amazing news about the end of the shift when I was giving my feedback was the only feedback I had to give this medical student was, don't do that, right? It is in, in that process, in that happening, it made me really realize where we're leading our students, where we are leading the people who are learning from us and practicing under us. And 
the advice that I gave was the advice that I had been giving myself over the last two years at this point. And that is this. You're a medical student. You're about to be a resident. Residency is training. It is apprenticeship. It is where you are supposed to learn. If you did every single thing right, number one, you wouldn't need the training. And number two, I wouldn't have anything to correct. You wouldn't have an opportunity to see a different perspective, to learn something. And this is said so many times that you learn more from your failures than your successes, but people say it all the time and it just falls into the same category of you hearing the same soundbite, the same trope, and it doesn't mean anything unless and until you happen to be in a scenario where you hear it again in the right place in the right time, and then it clicks. That's far too inefficient. If you are in a situation where you are training, like this medical student was, and you verbalize something that's incorrect, that's an opportunity for someone, whether it's yourself if you go back and learn later on, or the person who's precepting you, to say, okay, this is your thought process getting to that. This is why it's incorrect. And I feel like we've also gotten to a point, not to get on a soapbox or anything, we've gotten to a point with, you know, people, there are people out there who talk about, you know, not giving everyone a participation trophy and all this stuff, whatever you believe about that. We've gotten to a point where we are more concerned about hurting a person's feelings in the criticism we give or in the feedback that we give, because criticism is a little bit negative. More, we, We're more concerned with that than we are with the person actually being in a situation where they can learn. And I think the way to balance those two things is to change the narrative around the feedback. To make the person understand that, hey, I'm going to give you straight up direct feedback about what you did, if it was wrong, how it was wrong, and in exchange, you are going to promise me or you're going to promise yourself that you're going to take the feedback as it is at face value. It's not a judgment of who you are. It's a judgment of what you know. That might sound a little familiar based on the first thing I said in this podcast. That goes to Mindset, a book by Carol Dweck, who, I mean, everyone's got to read this book. We may start doing a book club at some point for a more, for a more exclusive audience among this community. Um, and this is definitely one of the books that I want to talk about. In the book, there is a fixed and a growth mindset that she talks about. The fixed mindset is a mindset that, well, let me give an example. It's, it's much easier to define it through an example. We have all gone through our respective schools being intelligent, being one of the smarter ones, the people who end up going down the academic paths, the people who go down the healthcare and medical paths tend to be generally brighter stars throughout their schooling career. Then you reach graduate school, whether it's nursing school, PA school, medical school, whatever it is, and all of those people are now in the same room and you are now average, technically. The thing is, you've prided yourself on being smart this entire time. And the schooling system, which allows you to either pass and move forward or fail and be reprocessed, teaches you indirectly that in order to be successful, you have to have passed, right? You have to get the check mark. What that does is build your ego, build your self-confidence, build your self-credibility on being intelligent, on being right, on being smart. 
Now you're in a room of a bunch of people who have been trained to think that and are now average. Right away, you feel threatened, whether you realize it or not. Now you get to medical school or nursing school or PA school. You're in your rotations or now you are in training clinically or you're practicing clinically, being quizzed on the spot at the bedside. And now not only are you worried about protecting your ego because you're built on being intelligent, but you're having to protect that in front of a group of other students who are technically potentially competing with you. On top of the fact that you might have a preceptor who is going to fall down the tradition of essentially berating you, condescending you, making it very known to you how wrong you were. Who, with this perfect storm, who would volunteer to be wrong? The trouble is the only way you're going to learn is if you are wrong. But the second component to that is being wrong and having the cognitive bandwidth to process being wrong rather than spending that cognitive bandwidth on beating yourself up, something that I had done for a long time until a friend and mentor of mine had said, if you spend your energy after being wrong on beating yourself on how wrong you were, you won't have any brain room left to process the mistake and not do it the next time. And that couldn't be more true. So having a fixed mindset, being built on being intelligent, being right, being quick, finishing things fast, whatever it might be, building your confidence, building your ego, building your self-identity on these things is very fragile because you will be wrong about something. And if you've built yourself on being right, or you'll be stupid in a situation, you won't know something because guess what? We don't know everything. When you're wrong about something, you're going to just be devastated potentially, right? You, that entire house of cards comes crumbling down. But then there's a concept of being anti-fragile. Another book that I haven't read yet, but we're definitely going to put that in the list of things to read for sure. That comes into the growth mindset idea. I'll give you another example. Let's say rather than identifying as being intelligent, you identify as being a learner and really like internalize that right now. Not just, oh, I love learning. It's my identity is built on learning. If I don't have an opportunity where I can learn something I didn't know before, my self-identity will weaken. Now you're put in a position where people are around you, a person who might potentially berate you for the wrong answer is asking you a question. And... You're asked the question and you're now at a fork in the road. You're trying to think of the answer and your options are, I can either get this answer right, which would be great, or I end up getting the answer wrong. And what's going to happen if I get the answer wrong? I am going to either hear the right answer or be told to go find the right answer. I'm going to look silly in front of other people. Potentially, I might get insulted by the person who's asking the question. But at the end of the day, if my ego is built on learning something, then I will be forced into a situation where down to brass tacks, I'm being forced to learn something. I am being taught something, either teaching myself or someone's teaching me something new. And so if my ego is built on learning, then learning something new just added to my ego. That's called being anti-fragile. Because there's a spectrum, being strong and weak are not opposites. They're on the same spectrum of strength slash weakness, depending on glass half full, glass half empty. But if something is strong, 
it can still break. It just takes more force to break it. When something is anti-fragile, the more you beat it, the stronger it gets. And the most immediate example I can think of is like a samurai sword where you, you know, it heats up, fold it, beat it down, it gets stronger, and you fold it again and fold it again, and it just gets stronger and stronger. If you were to spend the energy to build your pride on being a learner, then every time someone told you you're stupid, you don't know this, how could you not know that, you're so dumb, everybody knows this, or gives you the answer, then if you remove all of the fluff of the insults and the beratement and the condescension and all that stuff at the end, you're left with one thing. You're left with the thing that is literally going to build your ego. The only way a learner can have their ego bruised is by being in a position where they cannot learn something, which is almost impossible. Because if you're in a situation where your ego is being bruised as a learner because you're not learning something, you'll just shift over to something you don't know, which is the whole world is filled with information we don't know. If that can be internalized by every single person, if that was internalized by this medical student that I was with, she wouldn't be so hesitant to verbalize the wrong answer and would open herself up to an opportunity to just learn. And it would be endless knowledge being gained. And the beauty is the difference between learning on in practice versus learning in a textbook is that it sticks way better. But I had inferred a transaction, right? That we ought to create an environment where we are going to be forward and upfront and honest and direct about our feedback in exchange for an understanding that the feedback is an identifier of what you know at that moment, not who you are. There's an exchange there, there's a transaction, a sort of agreement. In comes our part in fulfilling that contract, so to speak. Our feedback has to be direct and honest and clear, but it has to be wrapped in the understanding that this is not an identifier of who you are, this is not an attack on who you are. And so when people in higher up positions, and this does happen in the medical community, use insults or use foul language or use mockery or whatever it is, thinking that it's tough love and this is how I was trained. And that is the complete antithesis of what we're trying to achieve. And it's my belief that this could potentially change simulation medicine, right? Because simulation, you have this mantra of being, uh, you know, everyone entering this room is intelligent and capable and competent and wants to learn. And the wants to learn part's great. But you're telling the person who's walking to the room, you're intelligent. And that person is going to say, okay, then I need to make sure it's not consciously happening necessarily, but that person is going to identify the things that make them intelligent, things that make them not intelligent. And what this ends up doing in general to children all the way to adults in your general life is you're going to gravitate away from the things that make you feel stupid, right? As Tom Bilyeu says, your psychological immune system is going to kick in. It's going to protect you from the things that make you feel lower on your ego. Or what'll happen, and stop me if this sounds familiar, when you have people who you know are less competent and less intelligent or less, well, let's say less knowledgeable than you in that moment, you're going to do what you can to step on them to build your ego up, back up from it being beaten down from the person above you. And we develop an inferiority complex and we start to boost ourselves up by pushing others down. I feel like I've summed up a great deal of some people's experience through the educational system, particularly the medical educational system. And that's what's different about everything we're doing here, right? This community is different for that very reason. And it's about laying down these foundations, understanding the transaction of knowledge acquisition, knowledge um, delivery.
understanding that when a person is in training, they are there for a specific thing. They are there to make the mistakes and then fix them so that the next scenario that pops up, they don't make that same mistake. And speaking of simulation, it's great that simulation exists in order to create that environment, but think about that. Part of why simulation exists is to create that environment in a bit of a vacuum, which is indirectly saying it's because that environment doesn't exist in the real world. Yes, part of it is you don't want to make all of your mistakes on a person and hurt them, and that's what makes this whole thing more difficult in medicine. But nobody who goes into medicine is actively trying to hurt people, or I should say almost nobody is actively trying to hurt people, and everyone will make mistakes in their life. So understanding that simulation medicine in and of itself exists in order to create a, a less erosive environment for people to learn in, that should be a bit of a, of a flag that, hey, there's something, something going on here that needs to change. And maybe simulation can be the point at which these ideas and principles can actually be enacted and then transferred over to real medical practice. Which brings me back to the first thing I said. The fixed mindset identifies a failure as who they are. And the growth mindset identifies a failure as what they know. And now I think we can understand what the difference is between those two statements. When you identify a failure along with who you are, even though you can change who you are, it, it builds an identity in you. If you look at a failure as what you know, you can very easily change what you know by going and learning the thing you didn't know. And so to write well, you have to write poorly because eventually you come out with something good. You have to take tens of thousands of free throws. You have to keep practicing and keep making the mistakes, but we can't make the mistakes if the environment around us is not conducive to making the mistakes and learning from the mistakes. Now, don't you think that an environment like that, as utopian as it may sound, would improve the wellness and the fulfillment that we have going into work? Would it change the pit in the stomach that we get? Would it change the stress that we have because some of the stress that we have is performance anxiety, stage fright in a sense? Wouldn't that change the way things functioned? Wouldn't that change the relationships we have with colleagues, with mentors, with mentees. I think it would. But anyway, that's it for me for this episode. Leave a comment in the blog. Leave a, an email, a question, feedback at podcast at rosk.life. Uh, the email is in the show notes. The link to the website's in the show notes. The link to the post is in the show notes. I appreciate you listening. If this benefited you, rate us on your respective podcast platform. Even more importantly than that, share it with someone that you think can benefit from this and come onto the posts. And like I said, comment there, become part of the community, lead the conversation. And maybe we can develop our own community of people who think like this, a tribe that can potentially change the way we interact with each other and create a new paradigm. Not necessarily try to remove whatever toxicity exists in our academic system, in our clinical system, but provide an alternative for people who want to find a better way and have a better outlook, a better disposition, a better feeling when they come to work and when they do what they do to help other people.
We'll see you next time.